0: You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio day.
1: So one of my favorite, I'm not a big film person, but one of my favorite directors of films, is a guy named Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan. Jessica, right on. He's done movies like uh, Dunkirk, Dark Knight, Inception, Interstellar. (laughs) Now, some of the movies, if you guys have been part of a a, a experience of Christopher Nolan film, like if you've watched Inception, I feel like his movies follow a similar pattern. For 99% of the movie, you have no idea what in the world is going on. Right? There's like seven different versions of reality that you're trying to follow at once. And unless you're Curtis Hayden in a film buff, like you don't know what's going on. And then the last like five minutes of the film, he like lays it all out for you. He shows you all the different things that you missed along the way. My favorite film of his is is, uh, from years ago called The Prestige. Really good, it's about two magicians, or is it? Okay, you can watch the movie. But at the very beginning of the movie, uh, I don't know the actor's name, but he's an awesome actor. He's got a cool British accent. He tells this story. Who is it? No, not Hugh Jackman. But he's in the film. That's good. Uh, But he tells this story at the beginning. And at the end of the story, he says this. He says, are you watching closely? Are you watching closely? We are in the season of epiphany in the church calendar. And epiphany simply means to reveal To show. The question of Epiphany is really, are you watching closely? And hopefully, every year as we go through the season of Epiphany, Jesus reveals himself to you in fresh ways. You have a fresh encounter with Jesus. And my hope and and my desire as we go through the Gospel of Mark, for 16 weeks, not all in a row, don't worry, we're going to pause and jump in other things throughout the year, but over the course of this year, for 16 weeks, that we'd be exposed to this portrait of Jesus and have a fresh encounter with him. Now, Mark is the most overlooked of the four Gospels. Matthew is like the most, it's like a masterpiece of a, of, a, of a drama. Luke is surgical in his approach and gives you all these details and beautiful twists and turns of the story as a doctor. John is this winsome storyteller that if you listen to John, you see all these themes that are exposed. Mark's like the stepchild of the four Gospels. It's overlooked. It's the shortest. Some people call it the un-gospel. Because Mark does some weird things. He doesn't have a birth narrative of Jesus. The disciples are constantly confused. They have no idea what's going on. Uh, He often tells people when he heals them to be silent. Shut up. Don't tell anybody. What? And the gospel ends with the women seeing the empty tomb and then just running away afraid. It says they ran away afraid. End of the gospel. What? He, like, doesn't follow any of the rules. He's, one commentator says he's the master of surprise. And I think so fitting as we go into the season of Epiphany that you would be, hopefully, surprised by Jesus and what he might have to say to you. A couple uh, context pieces for you before we jump in the Gospel of Mark this morning. The first one is this. Mark was made and designed not to be read on a page, but to be listened to in a community like this. So we're going to do that tomorrow night, 7 p.m. in the Marslanders' backyard, There's 10 of you that already signed up. That's amazing. If you'd like to join them from 7 to 8.30, it takes about an hour and a half to read through it. Don't worry. I think we're going to pause halfway through because some of you, the only thing you can do an hour and a half is like a Netflix documentary. I'm like that. Because an hour and a half feels really long. But we're going to pause halfway through. But to hear the story read, that's how it was designed. That's what the church communities would do in the early centuries of the church. They would hear the gospel read all at once. Uh, along with reading through it, uh, as we'll do, uh, Stacia Baldessari will be reading it as well, so you should be there because Stacia might have the best voice in our congregation. She read through Philippians a couple months ago and it was amazing. But we're going to do that tomorrow night because it's made not to be read on a page, but to be listened to. As we go through the whole series, we're going to get bits and chunks of it, but for you to see it all at once unfold, this un this master of surprise. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to turn to Mark chapter 1, I'm going to look at one verse to start, but I actually need a couple different readers because we're going to look at some of the other Gospels as well. So I need someone to, to turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 10. Can someone, can someone volunteer? Mark chapter 1, verse 10. Don't all go at once. I don't want you guys to rush to be in a volunteer this morning and participating. Mark chapter 1, verse 10. Do I have a taker? Yes. Thank you, Ben. Wow. Okay. Uh, can someone else do uh, the, the next passage? Is Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Matthew 3 16. Thanks, Jason. And then lastly, Luke 3.21. Luke 3.21. We'll take all willing participants. Thank you, Jonathan. Jonathan, could you actually start? I'll give you a second to get there. Luke 3.21. I want you just to read it really loud. And then Jason's gonna read, and then Ben's gonna read the mark. And I want you to listen for a difference you hear. And the same, this is the same story. It's about Jesus' baptism in the moment where God speaks from heaven. 21 and 20. Just 21. Okay. All right. okay, go for it.
2: Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened.
1: There you go. Great. That's it. Just one verse. Okay, next one. Uh, who? Jason, yeah.
3: And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him.
1: Wonderful. And Ben, you have, you have a big truck coming by. So uh, you might wanna wait just a second. All right. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn up and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. So you just heard three passages of the same story. There's one big difference in the language that's used. What do you see, or what did you hear? There's one big difference. Go for it. You're my wife, you can go first. Mention of the Holy Spirit, oh man. See, she pointed out something that I didn't even notice. There's two main differences. That's why she's, she's so great. Yes, Cole. Amen. Amen. So the first two say heaven was opened up. But Mark says heaven was torn open. It was torn. The first word open is the, the Greek word uh, anoigo. But then here distinctly Mark says heaven was torn. schizo. It was torn open. This is the the really, the beautiful picture at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, is God cares so much about his creation. There's almost this dramatic, almost violent way where he says, I am going to tear open heaven to speak not only to Jesus, but to redeem and restore my entire world. The kingdom has come. We live in this now and not yet of the kingdom. It has been, it's torn open. It's broken through. The king is here and the kingdom is advancing. And Mark, in a dramatic way here, is trying to showcase that for us. And you would hear that if you were listening to it being read over you in a group, like we just talked about before. So the question really is, how do we respond? If the king and the kingdom have broken through, what does it look like for us as we begin this journey through Mark to respond to this good news and epiphany? One of the most challenging things for me with uh, this whole pandemic we've been in for many years now is... Uh, nobody actually knows what's going on, right? Like nobody actually can predict what's going to happen. There's been so many predictions of what it will look like, what will happen, and even the experts of experts are like, no one really knows, it feels like. Or they're mistaken in some way. There's in many ways no pattern. There's been families in our church where uh, the husband will get sick and the wife won't. How does that work? There's no rhyme or reason. There's no pattern. But what I want to show us here this morning in the Gospel of Mark chapter 1 is really the pattern of the kingdom. I think there's four movements in the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. There's this pattern in the kingdom, and one of the ways for us to read the Gospel of Mark is to take our role as one of the disciples. That, that's an encouragement for you if you're reading through the Gospel of Mark, to, to put yourself in one of the place of one of the disciples. Following along Jesus and how they're responding to him. Uh, the parable of the sower in Mark chapter four is like the is the key to understanding the whole gospel. Those different responses to the to the good news in, in Mark chapter four with the sower and the seed are our responses to Jesus. And in different ways we miss or we we see him correctly. But how are we how are we supposed to respond? What what's is there a pattern of how Jesus live asks us to live in his kingdom? That's kind of the question I want to answer this morning. As the kingdom has broken through, Mark chapter 1, I think, gives us some patterns of what it means to be God's people. Now, I feel like this week I have four sermons, but I'm not going to preach four sermons because we'd be here for about three hours if that was the case. But I would like to break us into four groups and have one of the people in your group give a mini two-minute sermon on the passage I'm going to give you. And then I'm going to try to do this magical work. I don't know if it's going to work. So we'll put that out there, of taking what that person shares and then pointing out some other things that I saw from that pattern of the kingdom. So right here, group number one, you guys can kind of decide. I'm not going to break you perfectly in half, but like right over here, group number one, you can decide if you're going to be group number one or two. Group number one, group number two here in the middle. Group number three, kind of here, center left. And group number four over here. Let me give you your passage over here. Mark chapter one, you guys are going to look at Mark chapter one, verses one through eight. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. You guys right here, center right, my center right, you're going to be Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. 9 through 12. Group 3 over here, you guys get so lucky, you only have one verse. Mark chapter 1, verse 13. Check that out. And then the last group over here is Mark chapter 1, verses 32 through 39. You guys can move your chairs, get together with your group, have somebody read the passage and then discuss what do you see as a pattern of the kingdom with these words that you just read that we might need to live into as God's people. If you need help with the passage, come talk to me if you can't remember which one you're in, but kind of circle with your group, have someone read it, and then discuss together.
0: The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him.
1: All right, all right. You did enough sermon prep, hopefully. Hopefully you've picked your preacher. You're gonna give your best one minute sermon here in a moment. Don't worry, group four over here, you guys get to go last. Group one's gonna be the the struggle bus over here. All right, group one, who's your your preacher, group one over here? Jordan, yes, let me give you the mic.
4: Uh, So our passage was about John the Baptist preparing the way. And we talked about how I've just had Star Wars on my mind a lot recently. And that whole saga starts with episode four. So it's really in the middle of the story. And that's where Mark is. We're in the middle of this story. It's the beginning of Jesus's saga for us. And so it references Isaiah, that um, John is the voice in the wilderness to prepare the way. So there's already this story that's already happening and then preparing a way for the rest of the story.
1: This is way better than me teaching every week. This is really good. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was at the barber shop. I get my hair cut about every three months because of budgetary reasons. Uh, but when I was there, I've tried the last uh, two years to like be a faithful presence there and tip the guy really well and try to start spiritual conversations. And I challenge you guys like, hey, we need to grow in our winsome ability to share the gospel. Well, a couple months ago, I I go there and I'm sitting in the chair and I came in kind of quick and in a hurry. And the guy just gives me this softball of a question. He says, so tell me, tell me about, he knows I'm a pastor at a church. So tell me about your work. Like, what do you like about it? Do you know what my response was? It's good. (laughs) Two minutes later, I, I go, holy crap, this guy just gave me the softball of all softballs, and I missed it. I missed it. I wasn't expecting. I wasn't, think about what Jordan just shared. There's a story unfolding. People are expecting for the Messiah to come, and John the Baptist for us is a model of what does it look like for us to have expectant hearts that God might want to say something through us, to us. How do we do that in a culture of cynicism or Stoicism, like, hey, nothing bothers me, or cynicism, like, hey, it's only going to get worse. How do we grow and cultivate expectant hearts as a pattern in the kingdom, like John the Baptist was doing for these different men and women that were coming out to hear this good news? I want us to grow in expectancy. And that that was a confession of me also wanting to grow in what it looks like to have an expectant heart, that God is wanting to speak and move and say things to us and to say things through us. But sometimes we miss it. All right, second 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 passage here. Or second, sorry, second preacher. Who's preaching over here? Jason?
3: I was voluntold. Stand up. I listened to my wife too. Um, okay, so our passage, oh, this is loud, uh, was 9 through 12. And in this passage is one of the, the verses we had just earlier read about Jesus' baptism. And so, um, one, one of the things that we had mentioned, stop taking a video of me. <laughs> I'm, uh, okay. So, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm so embarrassed right now. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've stood up in front of people and spoke. Um, so, Jesus being first, the first like thing we noticed as a group was like the fact that Jesus had to be baptized by John like Jesus the son of God here on earth like what's going on here why does he need to go through this and, and obviously in you know in another gospel it kind of explains that a little bit but but Mark doesn't include that he just says Jesus was was baptized and um, But then we also kind of noticed that you know, talking about patterns in the kingdom, even though this wouldn't necessarily be a pattern in the kingdom as it were supposed to be, um, Jesus is kind of fulfilling a pattern that we've seen throughout all of the scriptures um, where God gives an identity to a people and then immediately goes into a time of testing. Um, So he goes out into the, Mark says, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness right after his baptism. And so... With Adam and Eve, he creates them, he gives them identity, they're tested, they fail. And then you can move on to Abraham, and the same thing, he gives them a new identity, new name, tested. And Abraham, one of his tests, he succeeds, but most of the time he fails. And Moses, and you know, time after time, we just see this pattern of, hey, God gives you an identity, and then you're, you go into a time of testing. And so with that, we see Jesus, who is the true faithful Israelite, and he In his baptism, the heavens are opened up, or Mark says torn, torn open, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And it's not an accident that Mark doesn't skip a beat from that sentence or that phrase by God, and then the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness for testing. So we see that as a pattern throughout the scriptures.
1: He, he kind of like stole you guys' a sermon over here too, but don't worry, it'll transition well into it. It's so true. Our being comes before our doing for Jesus first and then for us. Like think about Jesus' life, 30 years of obscurity, ordinary life, nursed by his mother, learned how to walk, worked with his dad, most likely Joseph, his dad died young, took over the family business, he was a faithful Israelite, going to the temple, Doing just ordinary life things, nothing spectacular or magical, and then he comes to the waters, the Jordan Jordan River, for his baptism. Before he's done anything spectacular or has played his role in God's story, he hears those words the Father gives him: "This is my son, whom I love; with him I'm well pleased." There's three f- references there. You have Psalm 22, or sorry, uh, Genesis 22. With "This is my beloved son." From the story of Abraham and Isaac, you have Psalm 2 of Jesus being this great King, and you have Isaiah 40 of Jesus being the Suffering Servant. All of His identity, here, His being before His doing. I just want to give this this simple uh, implication of that for you and me. If we are in Jesus, we hear those same words. You've heard that often. But here's here's what I want you to hear this morning. God's first word to you, God's first word to you is not condemnation, irritation, anger, frustration. His first word is, this is my daughter, this is my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And I just want to put this out there. I don't know if this is true of us as a whole, but I, th- I think it might be. We are afraid to enter into the silence with God because we're afraid God's first word to us is one of condemnation or shame. But this is, the, this is God's first word to you and to me. You are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And yes, God gives us correction, he convicts us of sin, yes, yes, yes. But his first word is the, words, the first words he spoke here to Jesus. Would you enter into that today as you enter into the silence to be with God? Third sermon. Who's my preacher over here?
2: Um, so uh, kind of along those lines, um, we, we only have one verse, so I'm going to do my best here. Um, verse 13 says, uh, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. First up, we have this question of what is the wilderness? Stephanie was like, what the heck is the wilderness? Um, And and soon after that, uh, Mike, Michael, um, makes this connection back to Elijah in the wilderness as a prophet, um, sitting with the ravens, allowing the ravens to come and bring him food from the spirit um, so that he may then go and preach. And when you look at where this is in the middle of uh, like Jesus in this first chapter of, he's, he spends this really high moment where he's baptized and the spirit comes down uh, and this really glorious thing. And then immediately he is sent by the spirit into the wilderness, um, almost to face what, similar to what Charlie was saying, Face these questions of who am I really having to have all of that clarified where there's there's no distractions it doesn't say in this passage um, that he's fasting uh, for 40 days but I mean 40 days regardless of you're fasting or not like spent alone and all you have is animals around you hanging out like I would imagine he's probably talking to some of the animals right um, processing some of that stuff but uh, he hears this this clarifying voice over the course of these forty days of of really who he is, and is also being ministered to by the angels, in that, and so in the in the patterns right we have this like to be with God in the darkest place and also to be ministered to by His angels in order to hear kind of the healing, the healing power of, of His truth, His goodness, His love in the midst of all of the darkness before being sent out.
1: You spend any amount of time as a human you will face some sort of wilderness, suffering of some form, your body will break down, you'll face a consequence of a sin or a choice that you've made, you'll experience depression, anxiety, Like, you will face wilderness if you haven't already. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And I think the great lie of the wilderness, as this is a pattern in the kingdom, is that the great lie is that you go alone into the wilderness. But you don't. Jesus didn't go alone into the wilderness. He had the Spirit and the angels attending to Him. What's the wilderness that you face right now? What, what is that? Whether it's something that's been done to you or a consequence that you're experiencing in some way, what's, 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 what, what's your wilderness and how might God wanna meet you in that place? Psalm 23, God leads you in green pastures and quiet waters, but also through the darkest of valleys. If you're gonna face the worry Of the wilderness, you need the words of your baptism. Jesus was in the wilderness from those good and assuring words. And if you don't remember those words, as Jesus was tempted, you'll be tempted to justify the ends. The means will justify the ends. Jesus was tempted to get the kingdom through an alternative way, not through the cross. And you'll be tempted in the wilderness to take shortcuts, to get to the thing that you want, or you need, or you desire instead of holding to those words of your baptism. All right, last sermon. Who's preaching over here? Come on.
4: Okay, so we had um, verses 32 through 39. And it's honestly uh, a lot of what you guys were talking about. um, Kind of, I kind of saw like a connection um, through each of those verses leading up to this, we kind of see all, all of what you guys were talking about, about the solitude and um, sharing and um, healing. And so what we see in verse 32 through 39, we see Jesus um, casting out demons and um, healing um, various diseases. And then we see him go into a time of solitude and commune with the Lord um, by himself. So he's not in the wilderness for 40 days, but he is taking that time to... Um, like pray with the Lord and um, be with the Holy Spirit. And um, and so kind of the themes that we saw were uh, through these verses were uh, sharing. He takes action after that sharing. So not only is he speaking to those, he's healing and he's casting out demons. And then um, after that action, he goes and he um, spends time with the Father in solitude. And so I think that's a great model of how we are to live, like all of those are great, especially when we do those um, together, when we have a little bit of solitude, when we have a little bit of communion with the Father and communion with each other. Um, And um, what really stuck out to us was the end of this section. Uh, In verse 37, it says, they found him, uh, Jesus, the disciples found Jesus and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go uh, to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And so we kind of talked about, you know, the fragrance that Jesus leaves kind of encourages us to seek, continue to seek him and continue to follow him. He doesn't just like give us all the answers and like he wants to build that relationship and he wants to uh, not only like does he seek us out and pursue us but like he allows and uh lets us seek him and so kind of what we we saw that was really interesting was that he doesn't turn around and oh yeah they do want to like talk to me I'm gonna like tell them everything no I'm gonna go into the next city with and share with other people and um like even when Things that I've been wrestling with, like in verse thirty-four, um, he casts out demons, and he doesn't allow the demons to speak, and that's just super interesting because even demons can like proclaim that Jesus is Lord, and they like they can't help but say that. And so um, I think, yeah, in the in the later verses um, when he. Uh, tells his disciples that okay let's go to the next town it kind of encourages the people that he just shared with to continue to like press in and um follow him so yeah
1: if you guys don't know cole and taylor you should get to know them they've been part of our congregation the last couple of months taylor well done how many of you guys have been part of a church summer camp oh come on on. how many of you guys have been baptized 10 times at a church summer camp there he is. All right. Just, that was for you, Ryan. I used to love summer camp growing up. It's one week of intensity. You don't shower for a whole week, at least if you're the boys' cabin. Girls probably do that, but not in the boys' cabin. You don't shower for a week, and you build all these friendships, and you become best buds with everybody. At the end of the week, cry night happens, and you're crying and hugging your smelly roommate. And... You're committing that night like, God, I'm going to go down this mountain and I'm going to throw away my Game Boy and I'm going to break up with my girlfriend that I've been dating for two days on this trip and I'm going to uh, stop looking at bad stuff on the Internet and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all these things. God, I'm going to change. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be different when I come down. Then you come down that first week. You're like, I'm going to read my Bible every day for an hour even though I haven't done that at all the last year. You start doing all that stuff and then a week in you're like, Back into the same stuff you were doing just before summer camp. You're like, gosh, there hasn't been any change. Now that's kind of a silly example. Some people have really experienced transformation at summer camp, so I don't want to downplay that. But here's here's kinda the here's kind of the take and I think connects to the story and the theme here. Is often those decisions we make in those like high intensity moments are more driven by our anxiety than they are by what the spirit is actually doing. It's more around our anxious activity than prayerful participation in what God is inviting us into. Notice in the story, Jesus spends a whole day, I love that you guys pointed that out at the end there, He spends a whole day healing, and then he breaks away with silence with the, and, and, and communion with God the Father. And then they come looking for him in anxiety. Hey, hey Jesus, there's, there's more people over here that need to hear from you and need to be healed. And what's his response? Okay, let's go to the next town. What? Because Jesus was able to cut through the tyranny of the most urgent to do the things the Father actually asked him to do. What does it look like for us to not get caught up in the tyranny of what's most urgent to do the things that God has actually called us and invited us by His Spirit to do? And there's that rhythm here we see him of both work or, or participation in God's kingdom and rest. And this is just an encouragement for us. Notice Jesus' rest or silence comes out of active engagement in his story. His rest and silence doesn't come out of a recovery day he needs because he's been distracted all week and all these different stories. So he just needs to like watch Netflix for 12 hours to like catch up because he's been in a hurry and in a rush and doing all these things that aren't even part of what God has for him. But his rest comes from active engagement in the world. What does it look like for you and me? To have that rhythm of work and rest as we walk with Jesus. As we're not uh, confined to the tyranny of what's most urgent. I'm going to invite Kenny and Brian up to the front. I want to have you turn over to Mark chapter 15, verse 58. Mark chapter 15, verse 58. Sorry, 38. 38. Not 58. Mark chapter 15, verse 38. Jesus was able to cut through the anxiety of the crowds to do exactly what the Father's will was, which led him ultimately to the cross. He wasn't confined to the tyranny of what's most urgent, but he was committed to following the Spirit wherever he may lead. Can someone read for us Mark 15, verse 38? Just shout it out. the The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Does that sound similar at all to a passage we read earlier at the very beginning? Mark 1.10 Heaven was torn open. So heaven came to earth. And here... The only other use of the word in the entire gospel is the curtain was torn in two. The good news, my friends, the why we gather every Sunday, why we're the church, is God didn't wait for you to tear through to get to heaven. God came from heaven to you and me on earth to redeem and restore and to put back right the ways that's been twisted and distorted because he tore the curtain in two, God's presence was sent out. And now you get to feast with the king of all kings every Sunday. Like, think about that. You're invited to this table before you were excluded from. You were a beggar they're just looking for crumbs. And now you've been invited to pull up your chair next to the king because heaven has been torn open and heaven has come to earth for you and for me. And so we celebrate this table every week recognizing that we get to sit next to the King, to feast with Him, to feast on His body and His blood, to be nourished so that we might be expectant. We might remember our identity. We might face the worry of the wilderness with the waters and the words of baptism. And we might develop this, not the tyranny of the most urgent, but prayerful participation in God's story. We do all of this because the King has invited us to His table The curtain has been torn in two. God's presence has been sent out. So would you stand with me? We're going to read these verses that we read every week from 1 Corinthians. And then we're going to recite the mystery of our faith. It says this, On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And before you come to the table, before you feast with the king, would you recite with me, which is the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let's say it together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come and feast.